time, and as our junior church is being dismissed, the rest of us can take our Bibles and go to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter number 2. <clears throat> I appreciate the song that Joseph just picked to be sung, and uh, thank you for picking that. I'm glad that we got to sing that this morning. Titus chapter 2 and verse number 11, and I really enjoy this passage, and I refer to this passage a lot, and, and even lately, uh, and so it might sound familiar, but I actually haven't preached from this passage for quite a while, but let me look at it with you today. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Let's pray, and then we'll go on today. Lord, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for opportunity now to open it and to read from it and to speak from it. Help me to say what only you'd have said and help it to be understood as you'd have it understood and help us to have open hearts and minds and ears to your word and that you would uh, change us and make us more like you each and every day, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God's grace teaches things, and I'm so thankful for the grace of God. God's grace teaches us things. First of all, the grace of God teaches us salvation. The Bible says in verse 11, The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. If we'll listen, if we can listen, if our ears aren't plugged and dull of hearing, the grace of God will teach salvation. We have the song Amazing Grace, and God's grace is truly amazing. Now, if you know me at all, you've heard me say this, and it's so true, and I repeat it because it needs to be repeated. And I was talking about it just the other night with our group at Hope on Friday night. In James chapter 4 and in 1 Peter chapter 5, the Bible clearly says that God resists the proud. Imagine a stiff arm. Imagine plugging his ears. God resists the proud. He resisteth the proud. But he giveth grace unto the humble. The Lord desires for us to be humble. He doesn't just desire us for to be humble. He exemplified it by becoming a baby born in a manger. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. And what hinders the grace of God is pride. Not your financial status, not your education, not your last name or your skin color, but pride. <clears throat> pride is what hinders the grace of God. And we need the grace of God. You can't get saved without the grace of God. This is why people don't get saved, because pride gets in the way. This is why Jesus said it's easier <clears throat> It is easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than a rich man into heaven because rich men are typically proud. And he talked about how that you must become as a child to enter into the kingdom of God because children are usually not very proud. I don't know if you heard it, but I, I said something about it. You may be seated, and some little child over there said, Yay! There's other people in this room that thought the same thing, but they were too proud to say it. 
But children aren't proud. They're humble. And they, they don't care what you think because they're just kids, and they're humble that way. And you know what? We all have to be humble in order to get the grace of God. And salvation requires the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And work salvation is, is a very proud lifter. It, you know, it, you know I, I earned it, and, and that's what man wants to think. But the grace of God won't allow that. And so God's grace teaches us some things. Number one, salvation. And what hinders it? Pride. That's what gets in the way. Notice it says in verse 11, hath appeared unto all men. To all men. Now how can you say that? Because there are certainly parts of the world where mankind maybe has not received the gospel of the grace of God yet. Yet I want to remind us today that the Bible says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. I believe with all my heart that if someone is honest before God, they will have to admit that somebody made this. Even if you have a bone in your nose and a grass skirt on, you have to realize that there has to be some higher being in charge of this universe. And, and even if they are third world or whatever it might be and heathen as we would say and so I do believe that creation speaks when I consider the heavens the works of thy fingers the moon and the star which thou hast ordained what is man that thou art mindful of him years ago someone named Isaac Newton you might have heard of him he had a model that he had built a solar system model and he had the sun and he had all the planets and they were dangling from strings and they were orbiting the sun and and he had a friend a scientist friend come over to where he was and the the friend saw this model he said wow this is exquisite this is fascinating who made this and Isaac Newton said no one and the scientist said what do you mean no one he said no one I just got here and it was here the scientist said come on who made this and Sir Isaac Newton put his hand on the man's shoulder and said friend you insist that someone made this when it's just the model of the solar system. But yet you tell me that no one made the solar system. We, we have to want, as it says in Peter, we have to be willingly ignorant to not know there's a God. So creation does speak to mankind history we just celebrated something this week that is a historical event and, and leads to another event in Easter that was a historical event and we are turning the page on our calendar to a new year starting midnight tonight and they call it AD or Anno Domini and in the old era over 2,000 years ago it was BC before Christ but scientists who want to erase Jesus from the picture want to call it BCE and CE before the common era and the common era and some smart aleck said what determined the difference what happened about 2,000 years ago that made it go from BCE to CE hello ding 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 you see, you, you can try all you want to erase from your mind 
the historical fact of Jesus Christ, but he is real. And the whole world, whether they knew it or not, paused, and most everyone took a holy day or holiday, whether they recognized him or not, because of it. And so creation speaks of him. History speaks of him. And even today, the Middle East is major news. And then our conscience in Romans chapter 2. Let me just turn there real quick. I'll keep your finger in Titus chapter 2, but Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 and verse 14. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Mankind has a conscience that came from God, and until that conscience is seared and warped, and it can be, that conscience is aware that there is a right and a wrong, and there is laws of nature and of nature's God. <clears throat> and so even our conscience speaks to us and says this is, for instance, when you kill a human being, there's just something inside of you that says this is, I don't know about you, but when I go hunting and I kill an animal, there's something inside of me that says this life died for me so that I could eat. Not so I could hang something on the wall, but so I could eat. Our conscience speaks to us about life. There's bloodshed, and we know that the life is in the blood. We know that. There's something in us that knows that. And so when it says, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, God is speaking to us even if we're not aware of the gospel. And then that brings us to the last thing, missions. Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Why? Because every creature out there is, no, is aware there is a God. I think the reason why the atheists are what they are is because they're so angry at God. They're so wanting to, to rub out God, but they know they fight so hard against God. And so it is not equal. It is not equal that everyone has equally received the same gospel message. That is why we are called to go. That's why we have missionaries that we support, including the one in Italy that we just read about today. It is our duty, and that's why the song that we just sang is so important. So little time, and the harvest will be over. And every one of us who have reaped the benefit of the gospel message by someone who gave it, and even if it was just the translation into English, which caused men to be burned at the stake for, every one of us owe someone else who passed it on and paid it forward. And so you and I need to recognize that there are people out there saying, what is the truth? Does not your heart break for someone who maybe right now is saying, I know I need God, and it's the new year, and I need God. And, I, and a lot of times people will start to go to church at the beginning of the year because they're looking in there and they're, they're trying to find something. But what happens if they go to a dead Bible void church? Do you realize that's happening? And don't you realize how blessed we are to have a Bible-believing church? Don't you understand the importance of getting the word out? Because not every, look, I remember a friend named Paul. He's in heaven. No, excuse me. His wife went to heaven and, and he, he was wondering what is going to happen to me. Paul got saved. But the first time he came to our church, he drove up to our little building, not this one, but the little building over there. 
and he saw the sign. It said Baptist. He said, Jeff, invite me to church. But when I said Baptist, no Baptist, he did a U.E. and left. He said, I don't even know why I left. But something in my brain said, Baptist, can't go there. And you know what? There could be some other people that, oh, I remember our friend Cassandra who's in heaven who came in with Ed. <laughs> and, and she was timid because she thought, oh, I'm a Catholic. I can't go to this church. Ed said, come anyway. And so we might need to take the gospel to them. We might need to go to them and share with them and, and say, hey, listen. That's why when uh, there's ever an opportunity to just post something on social media, to just encourage people to find truth. We got George down here, and he goes to our Hope on Friday night, and Dallas over there goes to Hope on Friday night. And so the last couple of weeks I've taken something. George said something profound, and I said, George, that is awesome. Do you mind if I use that? And we posted it as a picture and put it on social media. Then last week, Dallas celebrated over six months of no alcohol, no drugs. Posted that on Facebook. Why? To try to encourage people that need and are looking for the See, the, the truth is addictions is a symptom of a problem. And they think that they need to get their symptom taken care of when they really just need to get their problem fixed. And their problem is on the inside. The problem is their heart and their need for salvation, the need for Jesus. And do you understand that Satan is so clever that he's got all kinds of churches that talk about Jesus but don't show the way to Jesus and call themselves Christian but are not? And so it is our, rec- our need and our, our, our duty to recognize that there are people who know there's a God and knows there's truth and know there's, and <clears throat> this is not my motivation, but when I was asked, would you like to do, uh, uh, would you like to host <clears throat> a, a seminar for, for eight weeks on, on biblical citizenship? I'm like, yeah, why? Because maybe someone will walk in and say, wow, maybe I should try coming to church on Sunday and hearing the gospel and not just the political truth. Whatever we can do to reach people with the gospel of Christ and wherever they are at, we need to reach them because the grace of God hath appeared to all men and it is our job as believers who are so comfortable and so spoiled with resources that we must go and tell the rest of the world about them, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the grace of God teaches us in verse 14 that he gave himself for us. We just celebrated that the gift of Christ. And it goes on to say in verse 14 that he might redeem us from all iniquity. I love the story that Miss Wilma tells to the children about the little boy with his sailboat. I think of that boy's sailboat every time I see the word redeemed. Little boy made the beautiful little sailboat and painted it, carved his initials on the bottom. And of course, what does a boy do after he's made a boat? Well, you got to go try it out, and the bathtub's not very fun. And so he goes outside, and he finds a little stream, and he puts the boat in the little stream, and he's following it along the shore, and he's just imagining the little sailboat and pretending like he's on it. And then it starts to pick up a little momentum, and it gets further out into the tributary, and pretty soon it goes faster than he can keep up with, and he has lost his sailboat. He worked hard on that thing. He whittled it down and carved it and painted it and made it his, and it's gone. 
A few weeks later, he was walking downtown, and he looked in the window of a pawn shop, and there was his sailboat for sale. And he went inside and said, Mr., that's my sailboat. He said, son, I bought that just a few days ago, and I'm going to sell it. No, that's my sailboat. And he picked up the sailboat and showed him his name on the bottom of the boat. I carved that right there. The shop owner said, well, I believe you, but it's mine now. I paid for it, and if you want it back, you're going to have to pay me back. You're going to have to redeem it. So that boy went home and started saving his money, broke the piggy bank, and redeemed his own sailboat. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did when he made humanity and then lost humanity and then broke the bank to redeem humanity, to redeem us from all iniquity. That's what the grace of God teaches us. And when you learn that and it, and it becomes real to you and special to you, you, you become one of those Christians that sing amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. I'm the one that got lost, but he found me. The grace of God teaches us his salvation. The grace of God also teaches us to look for something. Verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The newspaper sent out a general email to, I think, all their contacts. You might have got one as well, and I got it. In fact, I got it more than once. We're looking for people who want to make a prediction for 2024. And I read it, and I thought about it, and, and I got another email. We'd like to interview, and we just want to get, we want to, you know, the quote of the week, you know, five people. What do you predict for 2024? And I thought, if I say what I'm thinking, I won't be very popular. <laughs> and I don't want to look like a pessimist. But here's what I can tell you. I have a blessed hope. And my blessed hope is not necessarily anything that happens in 2024, although it could. But my blessed hope is the glorious appearing of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we are to be looking for. Some have accused me of saying, you're looking for the Antichrist because I happen to have a different eschatology than some know. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I read enough about him. I don't want to see him. But if I do see him, I know this. Boy, we're getting close now. And I'm also not looking for my disappearing. I'm looking for his appearing. I'm looking for the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His appearing. What does that mean, Pastor? Look back with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. That sleep is not a nap. It means physical death. But I love the way the Bible reads because when you're a believer, your death is like sleeping because you're going to wake up again. Them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. 
For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. What great words of comfort. That is the hope that we have. Jesus is coming again. It might get bad before he comes, but he's coming again. Noah was told to build an ark. It didn't look like it was going to rain, had never rained, looked pretty silly, but the willingly ignorant laughed at Noah. But that ark became the salvation of Noah's family. Jesus is pictured in the ark. His appearing. He is coming again. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 also says it with maybe a little bit of different angle, but 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 51. <clears throat> Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Again, talking about death. This is not a nursery verse, although I've seen this in the nursery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That's not what it means. We shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. When he comes, we will all be transformed. We will get a new glorified body. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. In other words, this corruptible body that we operate in, this this vehicle that we that we operate in and and uh, the, the 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 flaws that we all have in our human body will be changed i've often joked and said how are we going to recognize ron spear how are we going to no, never mind this corruptible must put on incorruption this mortal must put on immortality so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. No more death. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What you do for God is not wasted. At the end of 2024, the political work and expense that someone will have done will have been wasted. I can say that for a fact. But what you do for Christ, the song said, a house or car will all be trash when souls are brought to heaven. There's a lot of things we spend time on, and, and there's nothing wrong with spending a, a little extra, extra time or recreational time on something and unwinding a little bit. I, it's not like we, we have to be totally militant 24-7, but the point is this. We have a duty. We have a job. And there are people in here because someone else invited them to church and you came or someone invited you to know Christ or someone gave you a tract to read or someone shared the gospel or you heard someone else get saved and you came to their baptism and you heard the gospel. This is our job this is our duty and your labor is not in vain in the lord there are so many people 
who work very hard, but at the end of their life, they'll say what my friend Jim said to his wife when he was told that he was dying of cancer. He looked at her and said, what in the world was all that for? He was talking about his life. So what, what was this all for? He was not a Christian. You and I, we have hope. We have a blessed hope. And his appearing will be that way. He will come and it will come quickly and we will be with him. First John chapter 3. We sang it in Sunday school this morning. First John chapter 3, it says in verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. This is amazing. You, if you're saved, you're going to see him. When he comes, you'll see him as your savior and as your Messiah, Christ. Job said in Job 19, though my skin worms destroy this body, that means I'm decaying and rotting in the grave. Yet in my flesh will I see God. I believe in a resurrection. Job was the oldest story in the Old Testament, and yet Job believed in a resurrection. Job believed that one day that he would see Jesus Christ. I know that my Redeemer liveth, Job said. And in the latter days he will stand upon the earth, and I will see him. Psalm seventeen fifteen says again, I will see him and I'll not be ashamed to see him. Let me ask you a question. When he comes, will you be ready to see him? If he is your savior, he is your Messiah. He is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. But if he is not your savior, he is not your Messiah, and he is not your Christ, and he will just be Lord. And you will bow your knee humbly before him as Lord, but not as your savior as your judge and not as your savior. Every eye is going to see him. Now, there's a huge difference in how you see him. If you see him because you're one of his, what a blessing. But if you see him and you're not ready to see him because you are not one of his, what a horrible time. He is coming, and the grace of God teaches that he is coming. I'm looking forward to seeing him. Have you ever imagined the first time you see Jesus? Have you ever imagined it? Have you ever imagined what, you're, what it's going to be like? And there's songs that have been written about it and things like that, but I, here's what I do believe. I, I do believe that when I see the Savior, I won't see him for very long because my eyes will be on the ground and my nose will be touching the ground. That's what I really believe. And if I know him like I think I know him, he'll probably reach down and grab my chin and and tip my head up and smile. But I'm looking forward to seeing my Christ, my Messiah. Notice also, and I mentioned this a minute ago, but verse 2 of 1 John 3, it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, in other words, we don't, we don't necessarily look like sons of God sometimes. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be 
like him. This is why I always joke about Ron Spear. How are we going to notice him? How are we going to recognize him? How are you going to recognize Matt Furs? I'm going to be like him. My wife's going to be like, who are you? We will be like him. I knew that was coming. I deserved it. We will be like him. That's what Christian means, Christ-like. Christian, there are so many of us that are shamefully not like him. As we close this year, may it be our prayer that we would be more like him. But you know that's going to require change, humbling, being different than what we are, chiseling off those proud edges. But you know what? The grace of God teaches me to be that way. The grace of God is teaching me to purify. Verse 3, every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. I was just teaching in Sunday school about praying for your enemies. Can you think of someone who prayed for their enemies? Can you think of someone who hung on a cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Well, guess what? We're supposed to be like him. The grace of God teaches our blessed hope. This is our blessed hope. Our blessed hope is not in a politician. Our blessed hope is not in cheaper gas. Our blessed hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. So number three, the grace of God teaches us how to live pure in this present world. Back in Titus chapter two, this world is filthy. This world is more and more disgusting and gross each and every day. And the grace of God teaches me, it says here in verse number, we'll just start in verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, ungodliness, that which is not godly, ungodly, and worldly lusts. I have zero interest in, I don't want it to come across my social media feed, but it does from time to time. But they throw some ungodly wickedness in my face. I do my best to thwart that and to filter that and to erase that and to block that and to tell them I don't want to see that. I go down the road and sometimes there's ungodliness and I hear conversation and there's ungodliness and there's worldly lusts. And there are people out there that have eyes full of adultery and they want to sin and they want to allure us into sin and temptation but something inside of me called the grace of God teaches me to deny that to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts it's perfectly normal Christian for you to get saved and all of a sudden you to say wow I don't think I want to watch that anymore something inside of me is saying that that's not good my parents, they, they got married before they were before my dad was saved. My mom didn't know a whole lot and they 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 had watched certain movies before they were married and in their early days and then they got involved in church. My dad got saved, got involved in church and they started getting involved with the youth and they invited the youth to come over for a little, you know, 
party or whatever and a little get-together, and they were going to watch. And so they picked out a movie that they remembered that they watched when they were young. And so they picked out a movie, and they put it on, and it was. And they pushed stop and said, I think we'll do something else tonight. And then they looked at each other after the kids left. And said, How did we watch that? But something inside us starts to change. And we have a more sensitivity towards things we used to never think about as being wrong before. That's what the grace of God does. <clears throat> it's not an outward in, it's an inward out. It's not something forced on you from the outside in, but rather on the inside, something saying, this has got to go. And there's something inside of us called the Holy Spirit of God, if you're saved, that's saying, hey, I don't like that. And the grace of God begins to work in our heart, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. That's what the grace of God does. Now, if you're proud, you don't have the what? The grace of God. So in your pride, I don't need to get rid of that. That sounds like graceless. Hey, I didn't mention anything by name hardly here. But if you're saved, something inside's going, yeah, that's what I'm talking about right there. And you'll walk out of here saying, Pastor Matt said, my sin. No, he didn't. The Holy Spirit did inside of you. You just thought I said it. You're hearing it on the inside because he's saying it to you. He's saying you know what it is. And we need to start a new year with some changes. Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. Teaching us to deny that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. I mentioned that about all of a sudden, something on the inside saying, I can't do that anymore. I can't watch that anymore. I looked over and Dallas is going. Last night, Dallas was at our home and, and he was about to leave. And he said, Josh, would you come here for a minute? Would you take my phone and would you do whatever you do to block all the stuff that I have a problem with? Just, just internet stuff that gets me into trouble. And so Josh did whatever he did. And why? Because something inside says, I want to live soberly. That's not just alcohol soberly. It means a sound mind to think straight, righteously, and godly in this present world. And oh, by the way, in case you're wondering, they will not applaud you for it. They will whisper about you. They will call you names. They will say, you just think you're so goody two-shoes. No, we're not trying to be goody two-shoes. We're just following something inside that says this is what we ought to do. Well, listen, it's because you're rubbing them the wrong way. It's because your success or your cleanliness is exposing their not cleanliness. That's what's happening. And so then it says in verse 14, he gave himself that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. <laughs> As we were singing that song a little bit ago, misunderstood because we're oft peculiar. 
still no regrets we'll have but for our sin. It has been the same for the last thousands of years. If you're a Christian, you're going to be peculiar. But Christianity today says, no, 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 the answer is to not be peculiar, to be cool, to fit in. That's not real Christianity. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going around going, I want to be as peculiar as I can be. I want to be as weird as I can be. That's not what I'm trying to do. I personally am very, I'm an introvert. I'd rather just not be noticed at all. So God has a sense of humor. He makes me a pastor, puts me in a small town, gives me a weird hairdo, and I'm just peculiar. But that's because that's the what God wants. He wants us to be peculiar. The wise men came to Bethlehem because they saw something peculiar. And people come to Jesus when they see something peculiar. And here I am, I'm typing out the bulletin this morning, and I get to the last point, and the phone rings about 8.30. I pick up the phone. Hi, this is Joe Blow from the news station. I don't even know what news station he said. I'm like, news station? He said, yeah. He said, uh, I saw your hope ministry on Facebook. And I want to come and talk to you guys about that. I want to do a story, a new story about your hope ministry. I said, I, I, he said, today. I said, well, we'll be, but we're having church today. And afterwards, we're going to have a potluck lunch and, and you could probably visit with, but, but we're all going to be dressed up in church clothes. We don't, we don't, we don't dress up in church clothes for Friday night hope ministry. He said, that's, he said, that's okay. He said, I want to run the story tonight. Well, thanks for the notice. I said, well, did you see, did you see this on Facebook? Yeah. I said, you saw Dallas' story or George's story? Yeah. You're peculiar and I want to do a story about it. You're, you're not normal, so you make the news. Now, I, I, I sat down with Dallas this morning. I said, Dallas, take a deep breath. And I just told him the story I just told you. And some of the others that are involved in hope, I told them that as well. I don't know. Maybe it's a joke. Maybe it's a big joke. Maybe somebody just played a joke on us. But in that, sometime during lunch, somebody's going to show up with a movie camera and interview some people from hope. Now, here's the thing. We've been praying, God, would you help us expose this to other people? Would you help us to share with other people in our community that we're here and, and, and it's not a program, it's the Bible. But, but they've heard that before. What they want to hear is, show me evidence. And there's some evidence. And there are people out there that are saying, I need something, but I need to believe it really can happen for me. So the only way we're going to reach the world is if we're willing to be a shining light in a dark world. If your light's not bright, you will not be peculiar. 
But if you decide you don't care what the world thinks and you're not going to hide your light under a bushel, but you're going to let it shine, you will be peculiar, but you will make a difference. And that's what is needed. Besides, if you agree with me that the world is nuts, wouldn't you rather stand out as not being nuts? I mean, if, if the world says that you're nuts and we know they're nuts, that's probably a good thing. The grace of God teaches us this. See, God loves people more than we love people. And we've been praying, and I said to the folks in Hope, you need to understand there's somebody going, oh, maybe, maybe that could be me. They need hope. And the Lord Jesus is our hope, our blessed hope. God's grace teaches us to be different. And if you say, but I don't want to be different, you'll never be. You'll never be peculiar like you ought to be. You'll never be a witness. You'll just be what unfortunately is average Christian in America today. But we got to recognize God wants us to be peculiar because there is so little time and as we start a new year our prayer needs to be God make us make us a shining light God work in our hearts God teach us how to forgive even though we don't want to forgive Lord help us to conquer things in our lives that we clutch to and we think it's our friend Lord, help us to be different people. The grace of God is what makes the difference. And again, one more time, what hinders the grace of God? Pride. If somebody gets in front of the movie camera and says, yeah, that was almost perfect before I started this program. <laughs> you just hindered the whole thing. But with a humble heart and a tear in your eye, you, you just say, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I would be. That's wonderful. You might be peculiar. You might get gossiped about, but people will notice you and people will notice Jesus because of you. The wise men found Jesus because something peculiar was shining. The shepherds found Jesus because something peculiar was happening. Let's not be afraid of peculiar. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for opportunity to, to read it, 